If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Good Monday, everybody. Hope you're well. Hope the weekend treated you Tremendously, and you're happy to be here joining us. We thank you for that. I'm Jeff, that's Tom, Director Matthew in the house. On Twitter, it's at Jay Cameron Show. Let's get this week started right. Lots to get to. I think everybody's probably a lot of people trying to get a lot in this week before we all take off for spring break and the like or uh, enjoy a little downtime. Luckily, it's a busy time, and uh, there is plenty to catch up on including the start of spring football, which is where I think we should probably begin. Obviously, also um, got to make mention that um, Florida State basketball took care of business at home. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, again, what that means for uh, for Florida State is that they uh, fought through a, a brutal season and still managed to finish 500 in the conference um, and, of course, have a winning record on the season uh, comfortably, I might add. I mean, hell. If Tom's one magical week in Brooklyn plays uh, to form, they could get to 20 wins. And uh, nobody would have thought that uh, a month ago. Nobody. I would think that if they get past Syracuse on Wednesday, they're going to see an angry Coach K you who think? was embarrassed and de-pantsed before the world on Saturday. Yeah, there wasn't much... Uh, more uh, schadenfreude to engage in uh, or a higher level of schadenfreude to engage in than that. I mean, I I just... You know why? Because there was this measure of hope that Duke had even at about the eight-minute mark that they were going to be able to come back and win it. But objectively speaking, if you were watching the way that game was being played, North Carolina was dominating that ass. North Carolina, Duke had no answers for North Carolina. And I was, and I'm thinking, Carolina, if the moment doesn't get too big for you, knowing what you're about to do to your rival in their place on that sacred night with 90 plus former players in attendance, people dropping 500K a seat or some ridiculous total. So I was like, if you don't get too nervous about what you're about to do to them, uh, they don't have an answer. 
I mean, just keep moving the ball like you're moving the ball, and man. All I'm saying is around oh, 4.35 o'clock on Saturday, I looked at the number, and it was North Carolina plus 11? Yeah, well, I took Carolina plus 11 before uh, that game. Yeah. Well, plus 12 earlier in the week. Yes, sir. Yeah. Ride that, was, that train. Yeah, that was easy. Uh, that was easy. Well, remember, Carolina got embarrassed in the first matchup. Right. And they, right. Yeah, I figured they'd be angry. They'd show up. They'd play hard for the opportunity to humiliate Duke. I didn't know that they would then actually humiliate And then Duke. they have like a half an hour presentation after the game's yeah. over. He I mean, say he's so pissed. He's telling the fans to shut up. Yeah. Now, now, quiet. Yeah, yeah. Quiet. <laughs> Let me talk. Awesome. Let me talk. It's unacceptable. It's like, oh, okay. All right. It was great. It's players just sitting right there on the bench like, great, thanks, appreciate you. It's fun. So let's return it to Florida State. A couple of things here. First of all, uh, once again, did you see the Jared Lynn post? Did you see what he posted on Twitter? No. So he missed, of course, senior day as he's going through treatment, cancer treatment, and right, all that. Right, Yeah, Coach Ham and Stan Jones flew up to Cincinnati to see him. Oh, man. Oh, you should see the picture. It's incredible. They surprised him and gave him his own senior night and took a picture with him and everything. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's who the hell they are. So it should be noted, um, his post actually reads, Miss Senior Day yesterday, so Coach Ham and Coach Jones surprised me here in Cincinnati with a senior day of my own. I can't believe the support system I have around me. It's bigger than basketball with Florida State. So pretty freaking amazing and I thought I'd lead with that because there's nothing about the game that they won over the weekend that's going to matter anywhere close to what that says and speaks to as far as the program and who those gentlemen are and what they represent and the way they live their lives it's incredible my defenses were down man (laughs) it's incredible it's awesome uh and it's worth noting now on to the basketball game itself senior day at TLC double C and we didn't screw it up nope you don't just roll on in or as I like to say, stroll on into the TLC double seat and expect to walk away with the victory. Oh, nay, nay. Um, NC State doesn't like to defend. That's good. That made me feel good knowing coming into the game that they don't like to defend. They came to town, didn't really feel like defending, and got their ass beat. All right, way to fulfill your promise, NC State. Proud of you. We swept the season series from the Wolfpack, winning eighth consecutive, our eighth consecutive senior day game at the TLC Double C. Last time we lost, Syracuse in 2014. I didn't remember that. I don't either. That's a long time ago, though. Caleb Mills came back. Must have heard me talking uh, about him because he had himself a night. Uh, and, uh, you know, on the whole, you got to be on the whole. Got it in. <laughs> Uh, showed no rust. I mean, that's it's crazy. You missed five games with an ankle injury, just a hell of a lingering ankle injury, and uh, 19 points, 7 of 8 from the field, 5 of 5 from the free throw line, three boards, two assists, doing some things. That's, uh, that's a good day at the office. Give him credit. Yeah, we just set the pace. We constantly were pushing that pace. NC State got it down to whatever it was, 5 or 7 in the second mm-hmm. half, and you thought if there's going to be a time to engage defensively, this would be it, and they didn't. And that was the game. No, uh, I would also say that uh, we we won the sixth man of the year award again. Matthew Cleveland, uh, eleven points, five of nine shooting, one of two from the free throw line, two boards, an assist, a steal, two block shots, twenty eight minutes off the bench. Uh, so hey, and congrats to Tanner and Gom who had ten points on senior night, 
seven rebounds, two block shots. Good for you. Good for you. Polite had another good game, 14 points. He's playing well since his return. So He looks fresh. He does. Sometimes guys look rusty or like they're fighting through something. He, mm-hmm. he looks okay. So here's where we stand as we move forward. North Carolina, obviously, the aforementioned beatdown of Dukes, outscoring them 40-23 to over the final 11 minutes of that game. I watched every minute. Be quiet. I loved it. Let me say what I have to say. 94 to 81. Not even competitive. Well, the students wept. It was beautiful. Get a grip. Well, every time, every time something adverse happens to Duke, those kids cry. I I, I can't say what I want to say. We know. I mean, come on. Everybody thinks it. You're watching it play out. You're like, "Mm mm-hmm. Okay. Are you crying? You're crying? Oh, you're crying too. And you're a dude. Look at you. It was something. Wait till you see the whistle count in Brooklyn. We got, we're going to have to fight through a six or seven foul disparity half, I think, to start that game on. Assuming we beat Syracuse. No, I was going to say, don't, <laughs> we have to win a game first. Uh, Miami rallied from 18 down to ruin senior day for the Bayheim brothers. And if it hadn't been Miami, I would have reveled in that too. <laughs> Yeah, I saw there was a note about a succession plan in place. For yeah. Sarah. Oh, man. And so it begins. Yep. Virginia Tech, oh, no, not what you do. Going cold down the stretch and losing to Clemson 63-59. to That's problematic. Notre Dame bounced back. Pounded Pitt. Who doesn't? Virginia uh, Virginia dominated Louisville. Beat the cards 71-61 in the Yum Center. Boy, the Yum Center used to be like, oh, man, got to go to the Yum Center. Now everyone's like, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, Louisville is two and thirteen against Virginia since joining the ACC. What? What in the hell, <laughs> guys? Watch our games against them. Get a grip. Uh, and no, in the game that nobody cared about, Georgia Tech uh, beat Boston College, two seventy nine. Why do I bring it up? Well, the the standings are done. Notre Dame wins the tiebreaker against North Carolina for the number two seed due to their 78-73 win in South Bend in early Ooh. January. So. Um, by the way, the Tar Heels are playing well right now. That's not a team you want to play. Uh, so it looks like this. It starts tomorrow afternoon. Three games between seeds 10 through 15 for the ACC tournament in Brooklyn. The magical week begins, Here Tommy. Here we go. Here you go. FSU's three-game win streak to close out the regular season has us locked in now as the eight seed. We'll take on Syracuse, who's on a four-game losing streak. Let's keep that punishment coming. Good times. Uh, and that will be in the tournament's second round on Wednesday at noon. We play Wednesday at noon. That game will be televised on ESPN. I'll give you updates throughout here, probably bordering on breaking whatever rules that I'm supposed to adhere to. I often like to give you play-by-play in the midst of doing the show, which is frowned upon, but I ignore that because that's what we do. So I'll be able to do some of that during the course of that game, but it is on television as well. The winner faces Duke who will be pissed on Thursday in the tournament quarterfinals at noon. Again, that will be on ESPN. Uh, the ACC has five teams, according to Joe Lenardi, in the bracket of 68, the field of 68. Duke is a two-seed, North Carolina is an eight, Notre Dame, Miami, and Wake as ten seeds. Virginia Tech fell to first four out with that loss after choking away a lead there. That'll hurt your feelings. And uh, Virginia's also out right now. Both would have to have deep runs in the tournament. We're playing well, but, uh, again, we're not going to likely have the miraculous run, although Tom is predicting it. But that's why it would be magical. You know, if we were favorites like a few years ago, then it would be a routine week in Brooklyn. But we're looking for a magical week. you got to be an underdog for magic to happen. You know, 
I didn't realize this. It doesn't. Our win um, does not secure a place in the NIT. Like we're not right now comfortably in the NIT. You thought bouncing back like we have, winning three straight, getting to five hundred in the conference, seventeen and thirteen overall, that we'd be in the NIT. Mm. Possibly need two wins, Tom, to get to the NIT. So even if the run doesn't happen. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, So the NIT, the NCAA fills out the NIT bracket. If you look at the metrics of net, you know, let's say so uh, we have yeah, a net. Yeah, 98th, right, this morning? 99, 98, 99. something like okay. that, yeah. So you would move to, you know, Syracuse is a net 94, not good. Uh, so... You know, I, I don't know. Doesn't look like we get in at this point. Uh, we'll we'll see. I hope so. Hopefully, we've got a little uh, cachet built up where they go. Well, that is the Knowles, and they had a lot of injuries, and they fought through those injuries, and they have kicked ass against the upper tier of the ACC. Maybe had they not been wrought with injury, they would have coasted on into the NCAA's, and for that, we will send them to the NIT. I guess. So we'll uh, we'll go from there. But congratulations to. Um, to Florida State for bouncing back and really salvaging something of a lost season. And congratulations to Matthew Cleveland for winning Sixth Man of the Year. Uh, It's our annual award. We do that every single season. Uh, Who knows who's going to be the Sixth Man of the Year award winner next season for Florida State, but it'll be for Florida State. You can bet that. The ACC's got to be tired of that. Nonetheless, that's uh, where we're at. Did you see this? I was looking at the – I pulled up the stats at the end just to see who did what. This is crazy. I believe we had a 53 to 4 edge in points off the bench in that game against NC State. That doesn't sound crazy. Well, also in the paint, we were plus 22 in the second half. I saw that. 53 to 4. Jesus. I mean, that's like high school seniors playing against kindergartners. What are we? I mean, come on, guys. 53 to 4. Nobody can get a bucket off the I mean, that's a that's a toughie top. That's all I'm saying. Like if you're NC State, you got to be like, hmm. Not a lot of depth. No. Florida State spring football begins, and, you know, I think this is the time of year where rightfully everybody is optimistic. I just went on uh, Chuck Oliver's show, and he wanted to ask about all that. And, I, you know, I was, look, there's nothing bad to say about the first day of camp. We were both there. That was uh, There's nothing to be negative about, I don't think. Chuck is very specific. Did you get a question about an obscure player? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. figured you would. Uh, he is very specific. Uh, but... It was fine. I mean, I I was encouraged more than anything else, not about a specific player or moment during spring football, but rather the totality of what we see on the field, meaning they are getting closer to looking the part. And I'm going to keep saying that and using that phrase. I won't make any grand pronouncements until I see them in pads. That's kind of what you got to do now. You you look at the newcomer's body types when you get out there to see if any of the young guys are fit to play right away. So you're looking for, for, for guys that have muscle density and stuff like that, that they can come in and it won't be physically too much for them. And you see if you guys like that. And you're looking, of course, for the transfer portal guys who you're going to be counting on in many cases to help you right away. And so you, you, you're looking at them, you're seeing what they bring to the table, whether that's length, athleticism, both, explosiveness, whatever it might be, size. So you do that. 
you assess the young players, the freshmen that come in, especially those with high profiles like A.J. Duffy. You want to see what he looks like. He looked good, looked good, looked comfortable more than anything else. He looked really comfortable, um, really let it go uh, in rhythm, which was nice to see. Uh, but in terms of what I'm most excited about or where I see the greatest amounts of gains by way of comparison to last spring and the spring before it is that more and more groups on the field are beginning to look the part. They're not anywhere close to what a championship-level team should look like. If you just look at the roster, they're not that. Are they closer to that than they've been each of the last two years? Yes, yes, that's, that's, that's fair. Are they... Do they have an abundance of players at certain positions? Oh, resoundingly so. I think they do in terms of got dudes, guys who can play, guys who are going to help you. I think they do on the offensive line. We haven't been able to say that in years. I think it's true coming into this season. I'm not telling you they're a dominant offensive line, but I am telling you that we are well beyond being uh, butt-ass average, uh, ass-sorry as I once described them. I and mean, we've moved past all of the ridicule. I think they can be... Pretty average to slightly above average. With some depth, man, that goes a long way in giving you a chance. They can be slightly above average with some depth. We haven't seen that. They're larger. They're larger across the board. And it's not, you know, 10 win, 11 win type larger, but it's it's way better than it was. You could tell that they yeah. are addressing the issue. And then there are some basic questions that we have moving forward that I don't even know that you can answer this camp, but it's about development through fall camp. For example, we brought it up on Friday, offensive line. Who's going to be your second starting tackle? If you really want to get Darius Washington to play inside, then who's going to emerge? I would assume that they will give every last opportunity to the guys on the roster to replace Darius at tackle so they can create that versatility. They know what they have in him at tackle, so they don't really need to rep him there. But we'll see. There are some other basic questions, too. There are so many position battles and reps up for grabs that it just feels different. You can see the urgency in every rep, and when you see, and this is what we'll watch until they put the shoulder pads on, the full pads on, the seven-on-seven battles, Mm -hmm. you see it go back and forth, and it's because plays are made. It's not because there's just a rep, and it's like the terrible moments are with the kids you'd expect, like, you know, the walk-ons. But that used to be every rep, (laughs) like last year. We're like, oh, that's just a terrible rep. Nobody did anything good. The throw was awful, the coverage was terrible, and the kid dropped the football. That's a terrible rep. There aren't many of those, at least not through day one. Yeah, and it is just day one. Today, day two, we'll get a good look at it. Uh, The offensive line depth, you're talking about guys trying to fill roles. Um, You know, He he said specifically when we went to – the luncheon that Lloyd Willis needed to have a great big camp and uh, it was a very important spring for him, quote-unquote. Uh, I think that he's you know tipping his hand there. He's letting you know who they expect to step forward in that role, which allows you to have more versatility uh, with your offensive line, greater depth, and uh, moving guys around. I think the interior of the offensive line is something to be excited about, just legitimately something to be excited about before we see anybody else take those next steps, right. especially once Caden Lyles gets into the you know flow. You can watch 11-on-11, 11 11 and we won't be able to describe those things uh, to a T that we're not allowed to, but right. when we get to see 11-on-11 11 11 in full pads and it's a short yardage or goal line situation, that's actually fun now. If they run the ball up the middle, it's fun to see what happens because defensive interior is good, offensive interior is good, and we'll see uh, as Caden Lyles gets more exposure in the playbook and what we like to do, what what he can do as a road grader because he looks the part. Now we got to see him go against Big Coop or Fabian Love, and I can't wait to do that when they put full pads on. Yeah, and for Florida State baseball, it's a series win uh, against Cal. And, you know, a couple things here that stand out. You and I had a 
fairly in-depth discussion last week of Florida State baseball, and I said I was not worried about overall record if they're dropping games midweek so long as they have elite-level starting pitching for the weekend rotations once they get into conference play. And I think that's just straight-up going to happen, and I think you got more of that again this weekend. Uh, all three, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, uh, or Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock start, Sunday at noon. But all three starters were dominant, were really – well, Messick didn't have his best stuff, but he was still good, and you know he's going to be solid week in and week out. Of the three zones, I thought that was the worst one of the weekend because they did not call the low strike. And yeah. so I think that messed with things, but he still fought through it. I mean, oh, it, it, yeah. was, it was more than a grinder's effort. He played very, very well. Yeah. Pitched very well. So all three. So when you watch, whether it's Parker Messick or Bryce Hubbard or yesterday when you got to see Dunn pitch, who was good, you know, I mean, he, that's, you know, you heard what Mike Martin Jr. said after that game. That's the most proud he's been of him because when he got himself into jams, you know, Ross Dunn has been a guy up until now, and it's early in his career where you kind of, hmm, we'll see what happens. Handled it well, got the big strikeout with the bases loaded, went back out there and had a shutdown inning. The, the, the purpose of this week, and obviously you want to win this series, and they did, they wanted to stretch all three starters to get up to 100 pitches, 100 pitches plus, something close to 100 pitches before they go into conference play. That was the whole idea. Well, that was a rousing success as all three starters were very, very good, struck out a ton of hitters as they're wont to do, and they all had 94-plus pitches. So you were able to do that. Now, the bad continues to be the bad, which is right now the bullpen isn't great. And guys that you thought you could depend on coming into the season have been helter-skelter, you know, kind of Jekyll and Hyde, bit, a bit of both. Like, Scolaro isn't frankly, hadn't been all that good. He's had a couple moments where he looked like the old Scolaro, but he has, more often than not, not done the job. It is still early. They're going to get more opportunities, but they're going to have to find something out of that pen to bolster what you already know you have in the form of elite starting pitching. They have elite starting pitching. And I do think if we're going to go position player and start having those discussions, I texted you over the weekend I don't know what we're doing with Colton Vincent at catcher. Um, I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm one of the first to bring up early season woes. Do not portend of late season falls or anything like that, that you could end up with, you know, a much greater sample size and guys come out of it. I don't see it. Uh, he looks completely lost at the plate right now. It'd be one thing if he were having good ABs. He's not having good ABs. That's where I'm like, whatever, his batting average is 110 or whatever it is, right? I don't, I don't care about that. This is where I would dismiss that if he were having good ABs. Oh, he's not having good ABs. He is completely locked up and lost with what they're doing. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know if he'll make that move soon, but I bet if I were betting man, I'd say he does go to Brock pretty quickly. Uh, Brock Mathis hit a home run that still hasn't come down on Saturday. And just seeing that strength and that experience that he has, even if he's not the player defensively that Mike Martin Jr. thinks Colton Vincent is, uh, I just don't think you can have that that bat in the lineup at all. So I, I, I think that Florida State baseball, you know, winning the series, that's good. Got to get that secondary better. Uh but other than that, oh, secondary, listen to me, that bullpen, I'm thinking of football, that bullpen better other than that. 
Yeah, we'll uh, we'll fix. There's a technical issue with your camera right now. It's uh, not feeding, so everybody's looking at me for for the moment. Hello, everybody. But yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to chew on with this weekend. I felt like Friday night was essentially a, a regional ballpark feel in Dickhauser Stadium. It's been years since it felt like that. Yeah, it's cool. uh, you know it was it was just great to be a part of that energy on Friday. I went to softball first. We pitched a one hit shutout, which was awesome. Sidney Sherrill got off the Schneid with an oppo bomb. That was the three runs we scored. Put uh, pit on ice. They suffered their first loss yesterday but uh it was great this is what i was hoping for when we saw um both of these teams come out the gates that first weekend and, and that was the weekend that softball played well down in clearwater was you know getting over to campus this time of year and having two really good programs to go back and forth to two ballparks mm-hmm. to go and enjoy and yeah. taking the beautiful weather that was this weekend outside of the pollen it was uh it was a great weekend to be around uh the athletic facilities because uh we had practice on Saturday but there was a whole lot going on and there was a whole lot of winning. Yesterday didn't go so great but there was a whole lot of winning this weekend for us. Yeah, it was um it was one of those weekends you re, you know you recollect before the pandemic where everybody right. could be out at the ballpark, be at practice, walk around, hang out with each other, tailgate a little bit, enjoy the weather, enjoy Florida State sports at its finest, get some wins, feel good. The you know the the opportunity to gather. It was uh, you're right. This weekend felt good over at Florida State. It's Jeff Cameron Show, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly. It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. One guy that you loved that uh, was new to the program football-wise over the weekend, Tom? Anybody that you thought, uh, hey, hey, yeah, that's exciting? Uh, because I think there are a lot of candidates. I think there are guys that um, both you and I were kind of, all right, all right. That's, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that guy definitely lives up to the billing. I think when you look at uh, probably, at least in terms of body type and, and the way they describe Jared Verse, he looks the part. I don't know what kind of player he'll be this year, his first year, but man, every coach that we spoke to, and uh, I did talk to uh, Coach Papuchas, and he he mentioned, he's like, oh yeah, no, he's an athletic freak, and Norvell echoed that too. So when you look at him, he does live up to the billing, at least in terms of sheer size, 6'4", 250-ish in that neighborhood, and 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 with, with quicks too. Now, they're not in pads yet, and I'll judge defensive and offensive linemen once we get into pads. But What's interesting to me about the Jared Verse topic is the coaches are well aware of who they're trying to replace, <laughs> and so therefore they would heavily be on guard about trying to overhype somebody or to temper expectations. Yeah. And for the most part, they're not doing that. They're saying, no, this this guy is diligent. He's a workout warrior. Um, he, he cares about the details of the position. He wants to get better technically speaking. And he's an athletic freak. Like That doesn't slow down our expectations as a fan base, and I think that's a conscious choice they're making. Yeah, and I would also tell you that, and again, we've got, I will continue to do this just because I'm well aware of the frustrations that our fans feel, and I don't blame them. And I am, it is always on my mind. I'll just put it that way. Okay, guys, I get it. We got to see these guys in pads. We got to watch them perform as football players and not just athletes. Because anybody that arrives at Florida State, in all likelihood, is a plus athlete. 
you don't get to come to school here. You don't get offered scholarships here. Now, there, there's some in that tight end room. I wonder if that holds true, too. But right, beyond right. that, beyond that, for the most part, you know, and certainly when this thing is humming, and it's not humming just yet, uh, you can't get here without being a plus athlete, okay? So to say somebody's athletic when you see them in their helmet, shorts, and T-shirts or whatever, of course they are. But, but you can also look at body types and know what translates, what's going to work, at least in terms of overall muscle thickness and density and whether or not those are guys that will be able to hold up. For example, when you look at somebody who's a redshirt sophomore who, I don't know, I can't wait to see him in pads, but he looks the part and he has top-end speed to go with the size, if Trey Benson is fully recovered from his injury and is and we know he's a medical clear, he's good to go, right? And they're, they're going to be careful with him, but they've already seen what he can do in terms of top-end speed. They've had him go all out. They've had him push it. Norvell brought that up. I, I think I'm allowed to say that. 6'1", 215, 218, looks the part. That's a that's a big dude who moves very smoothly, uh, effortlessly. So I kind of raised an eyebrow because I'm I'm not in love with the running back room. I've said that before. I don't think we have difference makers there. I think we have guys, some guys that are slightly above average. Um, Treshawn Ward has been a nice story for Florida State, and I think he's a good player. Do I think he's a game changer? No. Uh, I, I need Lawrence Toafili to get bigger and stronger. Uh, he looks healthy again. Do I think he's a game changer? As much as I want him to be, St. Pete kid. I root for my St. Pete kids, but I think he's a nice player for you. I don't think he's a game changer. But Benson adds a lot to that room if he's healthy and he's right. I think um, that was impressive. I was I was excited to see him. Another kid that we knew we would be impressed, at least in terms of length, overall size. We'll see what he is when we put the pads on, whether or not he can make plays. Uh, Johnny Wilson is huge. Johnny Wilson at 6'7", 240-ish, those long arms. We know from the film that he loves to block. I don't know what he'll be as a receiver here in the ACC necessarily, but uh, that's a big kid, man. He is—he's kind of that tweener. He's—he's he's a mismatch for people. I, I would have to believe you're going to get some matchups you like with him on the field. Yeah, that was a question I was asked yesterday on the boards. Was you know after say Winston Wright, what do you think about the slot, and who do you think the two outside receivers are going to be that are the bigger players? It's hard to know. I, don't I mean, know. like it's impossible to know right now because Josh Burrell checked into camp. He's in great shape. He's ready to go. We saw that with the workout video, but he looks good. Uh, Malik McLean obviously took you know, to heart that this is going to be a challenge this offseason sure. with all of these guys coming in the transfer portal. He had moments. I thought just about every receiver through practice one had their moments on Saturday. We said, oh, okay. This is, I mean, it's probably up for grabs all the way till the first week of practice. Like, and I'm talking game week for Duquesne. Maybe the Duquesne game is also a tiebreaker. I think if, if guys stick around and they're not so buried down in the depth chart that they're going to stick it through the summer and into fall camp, this might be an ongoing juggling process for the right reasons because you've got enough talent that can fight for reps. This is the theme of spring football. I think this is the first spring that we've been at since you know, since Norvell arrived where there's legitimate competition at most of the segments um, or with most of the segments. You, you, you see, yeah, you have guys that are be slated to, to, to be starters, um, but I, I think you realize, man, there are a lot of jobs up for grabs. Uh, kind of, and, and and a lot of dudes who look the part fighting for those jobs. 
We've been desperate for that. I, I've talked a lot about what you don't get in practice these last two years, what you haven't been able to get on a day-to-day basis because you simply don't have a depth of talent. You didn't have the requisite size or speed or, or both at a lot of positions. And so starters dominated backups, and you could not get that good on good uh, to the extent that you want. And you could not create competition where guys have to fear day-to-day whether or not uh, they're winning that job uh, battle. You know, you want that. You want this to come down to the wire. You want coaches to have to make really difficult decisions at wide receiver, really difficult decisions in the defensive backfield, difficult decisions, um, you know, along the offensive and defensive lines. That's what you've wanted to have. You haven't had this camp, this spring, looks like it'll be the first where you get more of those types of battles. Yeah, Trey Benson, you mentioned uh, that that can work. If it's healthy, that that skill set, that size, everything about it, I can't wait to see in pads um, him navigate and see how his vision looks. You can you can't get an idea in seven on sevens or individual drills how somebody's vision is and how they set up things. Correct. I was impressed with Rodney Hill, the freshman too. You know, he's I don't think he's a plug and play guy, obviously, but you're talking about fortifying that running back room and and bringing something else to the table. The coaching staff has said on the record that they were surprised by how fast Rodney Hill is already that his top-end speed was not something they necessarily recruited him for. They wanted to have a, p- a player who could do multiple things, and certainly catching the ball out of the catching backfield the ball, I think is yeah. going to be part of his repertoire. So that comes down to pass pro. You can get on the field sooner if you're a pass catcher if you're good in pass pro because it's usually a third-down type role. But I was impressed with him. So you have an answer for the now in Trey Benson. You have some established players at running back, and then you got, I think, a guy that you can handle and, and use for situations in the future and then everybody in the receiving core is interesting to me. One player that I'm uh, he Jordan Travis clearly likes him is Ja'Kai Douglas. And how much does he continue to be a part of this offense because he was a mismatch player? Like you're getting to a point now where you can almost carve out in your mind already roles Very for a lot of roles. these players. Yeah. And Ja'Kai Douglas and, and Jordan Travis have a connection. Will he develop that with somebody else this spring camp? He's got a lot of opportunities, a lot of different players that he can develop a connection with, but that, I think, is the next thing after we get into pads, which is who could play through physicality and and physical moments. But then chemistry-wise, who blends together the best? That's a fun problem to have. I want to give you a little bit of hope in the tight end room, Tom. Uh, is it the new kid? Is his name Brian uh, Courtney? Is that the new kid, the yeah. uh, freshman from, uh, from Virginia? I, I believe that's the kid that kind of – Stood out to me a little bit. Um, 86, right? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's him. He looks the part. I keep saying that. I keep talking about guys that are either new to the program or maybe they've taken a step from their freshman year, whatever it might be. Physically, the, the maturation of this roster to where you don't have an overabundance of players that to the to the eye you know are not game changers, are not making a difference, are not winning physically against the better teams in this league. I keep bringing that up because I, the ability to juxtapose what we've been when we've been a dominant program or even a very good program to where we've been these last few years, for me, really hits home because, again, I've been covering this program it, it, you know, as a well, journalist, as somebody in the media, since '98. So I've seen the best rosters we've had, and I've seen some of the worst, and if not the worst. And so those things have always been striking to me. When we went south after Jimbo stopped recruiting and had already punched his ticket to Texas A&M without telling anybody, and then what we had with Willie, and it didn't work out, and then what Norvell inherited because of all of that, um, 
basically atrophy, roster atrophy, you know, and then pretty much, yeah, yeah, you know. So then all of a sudden, you're 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 tasked at a difficult time, early signing period, COVID. We've all done this. We've already talked about all this. You gotta you gotta try to flip the roster plus salvage something of the collective mindset. You got to get this group healthier and pulling in the same direction while trying to improve them physically. It is a a, a, a hell of an undertaking. This again makes me feel better. At least this camp is going to position by position look better because you got dudes. You got some dudes. Thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. The phrase I kept on muttering to myself was, now that's more like it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean no. that you're where you want to be, but you're a hell of a lot closer and, and it looks like you're on the path. It, we, I talked about this with Ira last night on the Smash, that so many years, these last five, six years really, you're excited for spring camp because you just want to be around the game and you and you want to see what's going on, what developing. There's always a player or two right. that you're pumped about, yeah. An early enrollee, whatever it is, top signee. Mm-hmm. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, oh, never mind. I don't even know why I'm excited to be here. This is not. This is a big problem. Like, there's nothing. You're you have to qualify your ass off. Like, meaning if this team has a chip if on its shoulder, happens, right, 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 right. If they win every you know one possession game. If they get win the turnover battle, if they yeah. This one at the tour of duty on Tuesday morning last week when we went. I thought, okay, they're a lot bigger. They're larger human beings, so that's good. And then we get out to practice on Saturday. I can't wait to go today. I can't wait to watch more of these individual battles. I know that pads will tell us more. But it's just I'm trying to get to know all of these guys, and they're worth knowing about in terms of they can help you win. There have been too many position battles in this program for the last five years that by default you know who the starters are in spring, let alone fall. Like in spring, you nearly, oh, nope, nobody's going to challenge that guy at that position. We don't have anybody else. Now you have guys who could be in the third string right now be your starters in the fall. It's just hard to predict. Good problem to have. First time since Norvell's been here that we can talk like this. It doesn't mean they're a nine-win team. Doesn't mean they're going to, you know, dominate the Atlantic Division. Doesn't mean any of those things. It just means they've got a fighting chance to compete physically um, at more places than they've had at any point since he's been here. And to a, a to a degree, they can withstand at certain positions. Um, you know, some some injuries. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But it is football, and typically it does. In some of these cases, the last couple of years, when guys got hurt, you're like, well, that's that. We got nobody behind him. Jeff Cambridge, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all. It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jeff Kemper, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Good Monday, everybody. Exciting week, Tom. We get into the, uh, well, first of all, like, if you go through all the sports conference championships, those tournaments take place. We can sit around and have a lot to uh, be sporting about this week. Uh, you get that, TPC Sawgrass, on the heels of what was great with Bay Hill. They could be a real problem this week at Sawgrass. They are getting the weather we're getting, and uh, it's bad Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, 55, with sustained gusts Ooh. of 20 to 30 miles an hour. If all of that's correct, I don't think they're finished until Monday. Okay, then. Rough go of it over at yeah. the TPC. Shane huh? Lowry is a good name to play in, in a situation like that. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, adjust our numbers as we get set this week. Scotty Scheffler right now is the best player on the tour. Um, that's his second win this year. He has a top two. He has a top four. He has five top tens to go along with his two wins. So He hit four fairways yesterday. Yeah. Well, yesterday was brutal. Uh, a tough day. And it got down to being really tough mentally on the putting greens and being able to trust your stroke. And, you know, you had one player who did and another who didn't. And so, you know, I, I, I think you watch T to green most of the time. Uh, Victor Hovland's a guy that you would take uh, over almost anybody. Uh, but, you know, on the greens right now, got to have it. I'm taking Scotty Sheffer for that putt. Yeah, he can't hit out of a bunker. He's got a rough go of it on the greens right now, and he decelled through a chip yesterday out of the rough. Well, I think I think yesterday was so ugly. When you when you saw some of those numbers, the longer you were out there, if you went off late, you were going to have a tough day at the office. That was no fun. A lot of guys that went off early had a chance to score and backdoor top 20s and backdoor top 25s. The conditions got brutal to where if you're protecting a lead or you're in the hunt there and, and the precision had to be so good. I, I could see where guys – by the way, I did not realize this, and I'll move on. I did not realize that a lot of guys do not like that course. They don't like the way it's set up. They don't like the way that they think that the tour tries to turn that into a U.S. Open and make them look foolish. Well, that's what the founder of it wanted. The problem is you can't have pins in certain locations when you're going to you know, bake out the greens. The way well, when it gets that crispy. Yeah. It's, you want to put them in, in the back middle and then have guys run them up, then that's fine. I think it's fair at that point. But if you're going to tuck it like hanging off the edge. <laughs> like, what are we yeah. doing here? I mean, I felt, well, no, I didn't. Uh, I laughed. When Billy Horschel hit his shot on 17, and it's a perfect shot right at the flag, and it doesn't hold, and he about falls to his knees, that's unfair. But I don't care. That's okay. Well, you don't care because it happened to Billy Horschel, but, I mean, that's uh, that's It is unfair. That is unfair. He's got a gripe. There were some guys. I'm sure he talked about it. There were some other players, and those that are usually pretty judicious with their comments, who after their round said, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm, you know, you're supposed to reward great shots. And I, I don't. Have a problem with that? There were a few guys, uh, even those who played well. I Rory kind of bit his tongue on Saturday. You could tell he wanted to say something, and then went, "You know what? This is a great tournament, and he's won it before." So I mean, I'll give him some leeway there. I don't think he's as bad with the short game as he looked on the weekend. He looked like a chump on the weekend, but I think it's because the course got to his head. Well, if you go seventy six, seventy six on the weekend, that'll hurt your feelings. I mean, that's especially when you're playing really well. And he wasn't, I mean, his approach game wasn't bad. It's just anywhere around the green. He was blowing, you know, eight-foot putts five feet by. Mm-hmm. My man. Yeah. The weekend that was in Indianapolis, as we get set, uh, moving moving closer into the NFL draft, uh, was about speed. My God, is everybody going to run a 4-2? Uh, I, the level of athleticism in today's game is insane. Now, I'm not even talking about Tariq Woolen, who ran a 4-2-3 or whatever the hell that was. That was insane. Uh, you saw, I'm going back, I, I jotted this down. There were down. nine receivers, I think it was, that were sub-4-3. Or sub-4-4, four, four, excuse me. Sub-4-4, four, four, four. yeah. Tw- Twelve offensive linemen were clocked in at under five seconds? What are we doing here? Now, you already knew Sauce Gardner was a stud, and he did a lot to help himself. If you go look at those numbers, 6'2 and 3 fourths, nearly 6'3, 190 pounds, and he ran a 4'4'1. That'll work. A while ago, we talked about people who had the kind of length that uh, Jalen Ramsey has that was uh, otherworldly, and we talked about those kind of players that 
had the ability to play inside, outside, safety, corner, kind of jack-of-all-trades in the secondary because they had the requisite size to come up and help you in the run game but could still cover. Now you got more of that length and size to go along with that speed than ever before. It's crazy. By the way, Kyle Hamilton didn't hurt himself. We knew he was good. We got to see him up close and personal. But at nearly 6'5", 222 pounds, running a 4'5", at safety. That'll play. Let's go. <laughs> that's, a, that's a baller. How about Jermaine turning in the unofficial four five eight? Yeah, Jermaine um, didn't hurt himself. No, to say the least. He's moved into the top fifteen of many people's boards now. Yeah, he it's crazy. Has. And 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 by the way, one cool thing to bring up and bring it back home to our program for a second: talking with coaches on Friday, uh, and then you know hearing what players have said about Jermaine, about him facetiming during the squat party and all of that. Man, you grow to love what that kid gave this university in his one season more and more all the time, and you find yourself rooting for him. We were rooting for him going in. Of course we were. There would be no reason not to. But to to listen to each of those coaches at the lunch and say, oh, yeah, that kid's been awesome. I mean, he has gone out of his way to try to sell the program to others who reached out to him, grad transfer candidates, right? Uh, at multiple positions, guys calling him saying, well, what was it about Florida State that you loved? What was it about uh, Tallahassee and that coaching staff that you chose to go there when you could have gone, you name the university, right? Like that guy has gone out of his way to to promote what Coach Norvell and their staff are trying to get accomplished here. So, man, I've, I've, I couldn't love Jermaine any more than I did last year as he emerged in the second half of the season as the most dominant player in the conference. Now, I mean, that guy is dedicated to seeing this thing through. He's dedicated to seeing the turnaround. And, 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 you know, if you think about it, when you're only at a place for one year and you'd have the kind of journey that he had to eventually what looks to be a first-round pick, you, you might have some affinity for a place that helped you take that final step, but I don't know that you would feel so connected as to go out of your way the way a four-year starter would or a five-year guy would to reach out to players from all around the country Take those calls and sit down and go in depth about all of the good, some of the bad, and everything in between. That's just that's awesome, the kind of character he has shown. I know I'm prattling on as if I'm his agent. It's just impressive. Well, he had so many signature moments that if we had nine wins last year, you'd remember him even more fondly. I mean, that return for a touchdown, the the strip sack and, yeah. and fumble Clemson. return for a touchdown against Clemson, that's... I mean that that could be an absolute signature moment in the rivalry's history if we finished off the game and we you know didn't blow it in four minute situations. Frustrating. Hour number two, fourth coming. Stay with us, Jeff Cameron Show ninety three three Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. <laughs> 